the year was 2007. I received a letter that said the return address was the White House. My first thought was to toss it. My second was to open it up and find out which of my friends was trying to play a practical joke on me. So I opened it up and inside it was addressed to me personally so I knew it was a friend. And so I thought, well, let's see what kind of con they're trying to play on me. And I um, read through the letter and uh, scanned down to the bottom and it was signed President George W. Bush. I thought, man, they've gone a long way now impersonating a president. The content of the letter said they were beginning to put together a coalition, an initiative to bring government, nonprofit, religious, and local um, groups, schools included, together to make a difference in individual communities. And there was a number to call back if willing to serve. I didn't recognize the number, but I'm going, one of my friends has done this. They've cloned a number, and somebody's gone to a lot of trouble. So I called the number, and they answered White House, and I burst out laughing. Found out it was actually the White House. And this thing was legit. I was blaming all my friends for this, so I had to pause <laughs> swallow, sit down, and they said that my name had been nominated because I had been a school teacher in the past. I was currently a pastor, and I was president of a, a service club in the community where we were serving, and that also I was coaching, and so there were all these connections and said they thought you might be a perfect person to be a part of this large coalition and initiative. I'm like, well, if this is real, okay, <laughs> I'm willing to. And they said, well, we're going to have to do some background checks on you. And I said, well, it's been nice talking to you. So they began a series of FBI background checks. Those are interesting. I passed those evidently because I then got another letter and then another call. And it was setting up to come to the White House for a, a meeting with all of us and to begin the process. And then we were going to break down by regions around the country and thought, this is an awesome thing. And the day of the meeting came and we had all this protocol, this long list of stuff. I mean, I don't know if you've ever met the president, but supposedly the president was going to be at this. And no matter what your political persuasion, it's still the president. But then it was saying all the stuff we could and couldn't do. And Jody was really nervous because she knew I don't do well in those settings. It really hurt, but it, that's how she felt. And so it had all this stuff. And one of the big things was the room you're going to be in, you have a nameplate and you go sit down in this room and you can talk to the person on either side of you, but you then need to wait. Don't move away from your chair, away from your place. When the president walks in, stand up and uh, wait for him to be seated. When he's seated, then you can be seated. 
And basically, without saying it, they said, no sudden moves. Now Jody got really nervous. So we go in on the day of, and contrary to popular belief that I only wear a suit and tie for funerals and weddings, I had on a suit and tie. Going to meet the president. I go in, found my nameplate, and sat down and talked to the people on either side of me or from other parts of the country. And uh, all of a sudden, in came some very serious-looking dudes with earpieces on, just, just like on TV. And I started laughing. And now you know why Jody was worried. <laughs> and they came in, and the president walked in, and we all stood up, you know, and you're standing there, and then he broke protocol. He came inside the tables and came around to start shaking hands with everyone. I'm going, how cool is this? And all I could hear in the back of my mind was, no sudden moves, no sudden moves, no sudden moves. And he starts shaking these men and women's hands coming around, and he's a person away from me, and I'm like, okay, this is it. And so I stick my hand out, and right then, just bells and whistles and sirens start going off. And those guys with the earpieces and the dark suits grabbed the president and got him out of there while I'm... Somebody else stepped in the room. Everybody, everybody sit down, be quiet. And I'm just thinking, what in the world? I realized there must have been a national crisis, but couldn't it have been one person later? I mean, I'm right there. The worst part was the alarms just kept going and going and going. And they didn't shut off until I reached over and turned off my alarm. It was all a dream. And it shattered that close. Well, let me ask you. What do you do when your dreams are shattered? Not the kind you wake up from, the kind you live. What do you do when your hope is gone? I have great news. Hope is here. If you have your Bibles or Bible on your device, I invite you to turn the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11, and to 1 Peter. You see, hope is an interesting thing. Hope is only needed when we realize that we cannot do it on our own, whatever it is. It's only needed when we can't do it. Hope is only needed when there's nothing left. Hope dies or is lost when what we expected or envisioned is shattered. Then we need hope. The Bible addresses hope a lot. There are a lot of songs that address it. We sang some this morning. Hope is not limited to this place. It's not limited to a church building. It's not limited to a geographic place. Hope 
is here because hope is wherever Christ is. Which is everywhere. So wherever you go this week, hope is there. You didn't have to come here to find hope, but I sure am glad you did. But what we have to understand is what is this hope? Now because we need hope when our dreams are shattered, because we need hope when what we expected didn't happen, we need to understand those moments and what Christ is asking. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When our hope seems gone, when our dreams are shattered, we are worn out, burdened, if you will. And Jesus himself said, come to me in that moment. My burdens are light. And the interesting thing about a yoke that was listed there, it's a, it's a farming, agricultural term for connecting two animals together. In that case, at that time, it probably would have been oxen. You didn't put a yoke on one animal. It was two or more because what you were doing is making sure that they would walk side by side and hopefully work together. And the yoke doesn't work if one of them tries to go ahead of the other, which I find an awful lot of times I'm trying to do to the Lord. <laughs> and then that thing pulls and strains and sure seems heavy. But what he has promised is that his yoke Connecting us to him is light. Oh, not that it isn't important. Not that it didn't cost something. He went to the cross for us. But that if we are connected, yoked to him, it'll be easier. It'll be lighter. It will be hopeful. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And then a passage that stuck with me from when I first accepted Jesus. First Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 13. It says, Now who... Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope. I think we need to this morning as we begin this process of looking at hope, we need to understand what triggers a loss of hope or dreams. There are a lot of things. First Peter 
3.14 talks about being troubled. When we have a loss of hope, a loss of our dreams, we are troubled. And that loss of hope or loss of a dream comes from circumstances that we are in or from our personal choices that created the circumstances. There are things that are just thrust upon us. The company you work for shuts down. Someone gets severely ill or passes. All kinds of things that just come upon us that we have no control over, but quite often our circumstances are from decisions we've already made. Maybe not that day. They may have piled up from the past. And they caused us to lose hope. One of those in those choices and circumstances that causes a loss of a dream and hope is fatigued. Just plain being worn out. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary, all of you who are heavy laden, all of you who are worn out. It's interesting, with each passing year, how certain things that used to be so easy now require more effort. <laughs> and some things that aren't a real problem for me to still do, I feel it more the next day. Anybody else relate to some of that? Yeah. Fatigue can cause us to lose hope. You see, the fatigue can come from busyness, just having a schedule that is non-stop. I have said many times to families with toddlers who have talked about how busy they are, I've said, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till they become teenagers. Oh, sure, there's a lot of energy now, but they aren't creating much on the outside as they will when they get a little older. And then I've heard from so many of you and in other places, those who have sort of retired. And your comment has been, I have no idea how I had time enough to work given all the stuff I'm now doing. I mean, busyness can just wipe us out. Some of it we create. Some of it's thrust upon us. Busyness can create fatigue. Fatigue can take our hope and our dreams away. Also, fatigue can come from relationships. I mean, sometimes life would be easy if it weren't for the people in our life, right? Don't point to anybody. The greatest hurts come from relationships because we care. The greatest moments of fatigue and tiredness can come from our relationships. Oh, it doesn't mean that we should not have relationships. It doesn't mean we should back out or get out of all of them. It just means we need to realize that sometimes we get weary in our relationships. Also, that loss of a dream in our circumstances can come from fear. 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15, talk about that fear, having that. Vince Lombardi, a 
Hall of Fame football coach for one of those other teams said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue brings fear. That when we're tired, we get more fearful. And if that's true, some of you have a lot of fear right now, don't you? We have fears that come from all kinds of places. The fear of not measuring up. That fear of going, I'm not going to be good enough for whatever this is. As a kid in school, there were many times when they asked for a volunteer for something that my hand didn't go up. Because what they wanted a volunteer for, I went, I don't know that I'm good enough for that one, so I don't want to get shot down. I just keep my hand in my pocket. A lot of us have that, don't we? Just on daily things. A fear of not measuring up. Not putting ourselves out there in case we can't do it. Or in case someone else thinks we can't. For you see, there's also that fear of not being accepted. <laughs> One of the scariest things is to walk into a room, and some of you did that this morning, where you don't know very many, if anyone. And that fear of, are they going to accept me? That fear of, they're looking at me funny. What have I done wrong? Is there something in my teeth? Is there a spot on my shirt? There was this morning. I had to go home and change. Fortunately, it was seen before you, I noticed it before all of you noticed it. So that hopefully you'll still accept me. <laughs> but we have that fear of not being accepted for whatever we're going through. And that fear of not being accepted often keeps people from accepting Jesus. Because Satan has told them or society has convinced them that he won't accept them. I have great news for you, by the way. Jesus went on the cross, and on the cross he said, Father, forgive them. I've studied that intently. That them is an all-inclusive all of them, including you and me. You don't have to fear being accepted because he has already accepted you. That's why he went to the cross. For your sins and my sins. But that fear of not being accepted can keep us from coming to Christ. It can keep people from coming to church for fear that they won't be accepted. It takes an awful lot for somebody to walk into a place for the first time. I mean, imagine how nervous I was when I went to the White House in that dream. <laughs> Fatigue and fear can create circumstances that cause us to lose our dream or our hope, but also failure can. Or even the perception of failure on our part. See, there's failure in our own eyes. 1 Peter 3, 13 says, Who is there that can harm you? We often create this fear. We often create this thing of going, Oh no, it's not working. We had a 
moment yesterday where we thought something at the house wasn't working. Jody hollered at me and she said, I think I broke the garage door opener. I'm like, I, I, I don't think you could have. But I heard her pushing the button and it coming down a little bit and stopping and going back up. And I went out and sure enough, there was something covering that little sensor that goes across. Now, I'm not even going to talk about the fact that Jody was literally standing beside the thing that was covering it, but there are things that interfere sometimes, aren't there? And that interference comes in there and it causes us to think, what did I do? She thought, I did this. No, something was just in the way. For an awful lot of us, that fear of failure is in our own eyes and it's just something in the way that we can go around or remove or the Lord can remove. That perception of failure is often just in the eyes of others. I've coached different sports for many years. And the most difficult one was I coached basketball in Indiana. The perception in other people's eyes was interesting. Sometimes we didn't win by enough. Sometimes we lost to the wrong team. See, the perception of failure in others' eyes is a powerful thing. Sometimes they don't even say anything. We just assume they think that of us, right? I saw how they looked at me. I saw that they ignored me. I got accused at a church one time. A lady was found out she was upset, so I went to talk with her, and she said, yes, I'm upset with you. And I said, okay, what? You know, let me make this right. And she said, well, the other Sunday, you didn't say hi to me in the hallway. And I said, well, when was this, et cetera? And it was right as I was heading in uh, to the service. And it was in the hall and there were all kinds of people. And I said, I, I probably didn't even see you. This was at a church. We had a big square around. And, and I said, you know, sometimes I am so focused and I apologized. See, there was a perception on her part that I'd ignored her when I hadn't. You know what? I've done the same thing to other people. In fact, there have been times when I thought the Lord was ignoring me. But he never does. You are not being rejected. You are accepted, loved, and forgiven. We sang those words in a few of the songs this morning. And we have to recognize hope is here. And you need to understand this, that hope is found in Jesus Christ. True hope is found in him and him alone. 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. That hope is found in him. Now, those of you that are filling out a sermon outline, and especially those of you that panic when I don't say the word that fills in the blank, 
<laughs> Sometimes I do that just to mess with you. Please forgive me. But some of you are going, there's, there's no blank under here. You know why? Because we all have different blanks in our life that need to be filled today. Some of us need to be filled with hope because of our relationship. Some of us need to be filled with hope because we're fearful of a report from the doctor. Some of us need to be filled with hope because we're fearful about the next step at work. Some of us need to be filled with hope for all kinds of reasons. There's no way for me to put a blank in there that fits. So just understand this. Hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Oh, we can get some satisfaction temporarily from all kinds of other things, but true hope is found in Christ. We need to connect with Christ and allow him to forgive, heal, and guide us into hope. I have to ask, are you ready to embrace hope this morning? Are you willing to be embraced by hope? Let me share something I wrote a while back. My story is not what it could have been. My story is not what many thought it should have been. My story was headed toward being a disaster, and I was moving there with great speed. In fact, I believed that disaster was my destiny. Then God broke through and changed me. Then God broke through and saved me. Then God broke through and lifted me into his arms against his chest. And he whispered in my ear, I love you. He whispered, from now on, you'll be my child. He whispered, I gave everything just for you. And then I cried. I'm forgiven. I'm changed. I'm not what I could have been. I'm not what some thought I should have been. But I am what you, Lord, wanted me to be. I am your child. Let me ask you, what is your story? Where are you headed? What are you speeding toward? What will you believe this morning? Your story doesn't need to be what it could be. Your story doesn't need to be what many others think it will be. Your story may be headed toward disaster. And you may even believe like I did that disaster is your destiny. But I'm here to shout to you. God loves you. He desires for you to be his child. He gave everything just for you. My prayer is that you will cry out, I am forgiven. I'm changed. I'm not what I could have been. I'm not what I should have been, but I am what the Lord wants me to be. I am changed. I am forgiven. I am a child of the King. What will your story become?
Hope is here. Are you ready to embrace it for yourself? Hope is here. Are you willing to be embraced by it? Because he's just waiting with open arms to embrace you just like he did me and say, you are my child. Heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. I just wonder if there are some of you here this morning that say, man, do I need that hope. This is the moment, this is the day that I'm ready to say yes. It doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean that you expect to do things perfectly. It means you acknowledge you need him and the hope that is provided in Christ. And in this moment, at this time, you say yes to the hope of Christ. If that's where you are this morning, whatever the reason may be, would you just raise your hand for a moment? I want to pray for you and pray for you this week. Thank you. God bless you. Just raise it and hold it there for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, you are our living hope. You are <laughs> what we were designed to be, your child. Oh, Jesus, help us to recognize your love. Help us to believe that you have offered your love and forgiveness to us today. No matter what's wearing us out and creating fatigue in our life, no matter what fears we brought in with us today, Lord, no matter what failures we are hung up on, may we this day say yes to you. May we renew that if we've already done it, or may we do it fresh and new today to embrace and be embraced by the hope that is found in you. Lord, you desire to continue to write our story as a child of yours. I pray these things and ask your blessing on each one. Guide our time of gathering following the service. In Jesus' name, amen.